The Old Testament reading for this second Sunday in Lent comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 26, starting with verse, verse 8. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the prophet, to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as it seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to you all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 3 and 4, starting with chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is, well, all three readings that we had assigned for this second Sunday in the season of Lent. God has always loved his people, and from the time that God first laid out his plan to redeem his people, he always had it in his mind that he would focus on Jerusalem. He chose Abraham to be the father of the nation through whom the Savior, the Christ, would come, knowing that that Christ would be rejected, would be crucified for the salvation of the world. And it's never God's intention that any one person would be lost to God. He loves all people, his creatures. He wants all to be saved. And Jesus really expresses that uh, so well this morning in the gospel lesson. We see there just how intensely he loves, um, how human he is in his emotion that are expressing there the God's divine love for people. In our Old Testament reading, the uh, prophet Jeremiah brings the word of the Lord to the, the priests and to the people, and he does this at great risk to his life. He has said that if he doesn't speak the word of the Lord, it's like a burning fire in his bones. It has to come out. And Jeremiah tells them that this house, meaning Jerusalem and the temple, would be like Shiloh. Now the word Shiloh, the name Shiloh, means peace. You can, you can see there the, the relationship between Shiloh and Shalom. They come from the same word. They mean peace. Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle resided for many years. That, uh, when the Israelites um, first came into the promised land, and they were going through these many years of, of uh, battling with the people and clearing the land out and that... All that time, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, resided there at Shiloh. And uh, then came the time of Eli, the high priest. And he had his two sons, his two evil sons. And they, the nation of Israel went to battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines were winning, were beating the Israelites. And the Israelites withdrew. And they had this great idea. We'll go get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. And we'll bring it into the battle. And then surely we'll win. And they used it like a rabbit's foot. Like a good luck charm. God is enthroned between the cherubim on that Ark of the Covenant. 
And so if they carry the Ark of the Covenant in the battle, they are carrying God into battle, and God will have to give them victory. And when they bring it into the camp, the Philistines hear the uproar, the cheering from the Israelites, and they say, oh no, woe is us, they've brought a God into their camp. But be men, be brave. And they go to battle, and they rout the Israelites. And they capture the Ark of the Covenant. And they overrun Shiloh. And they make it desolate. And so Shiloh comes to be equated with this term of desolation. And also with the idea that God abandoned his people there. Turned his back on them. Rejected them. When Jeremiah comes on the scene centuries later... The people have again forgotten what the temple is about, what is supposed to be happening there, that this is about God's presence with them, about a place and a way that sin is done away with, a place of sacrifice, a place of receiving God's forgiveness. Jeremiah says that unless the people repent, turn from their ways, turn from their sin, God's wrath would come upon them. And Jerusalem and Solomon's holy temple would be like Shiloh, desolate and forsaken by God. And the people, as we read, are enraged. And they grab Jeremiah and they say, What are you talking about? Why are you saying these things? How dare you prophesy against the city of David and against the temple of Yahweh? And they want to put Jeremiah to death. The people reject God's prophet. King Jehoiakim burns Jeremiah's scroll. And a little more than 600 years after Jeremiah, there is another prophet in Jerusalem, and his words are similar to Jeremiah's words. It's Jesus, of course, and he's calling the people of God again to repentance, telling them that, that they must turn back to the Lord. He teaches that even the goodness of the Pharisees is not enough goodness to get you into heaven. Contrary to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus teaches that salvation will be found in one person, himself, and himself alone. That only by believing in the Son of Man will anyone find themselves in the kingdom of heaven. And this prophet, Jesus, is also rejected by the people, rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees. And in our gospel reading, we have the Pharisees coming to him and saying, Run! Herod wants to kill you. Now, they're not saying this because they have concern for Jesus. They're not saying this because they're afraid that uh, Herod is going to hurt him. They're afraid for his safety or something like that. Herod has already killed John the Baptist. And maybe they're using this fact to try and scare Jesus off, saying that Herod wants to kill Jesus too. They don't want to protect him from Herod so that he can go on preaching against them. Rather, they don't like what he's saying to them, and they want him to stop. They want him gone. 
Jesus responds and says, I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing, what I've come to do. He knows better than anyone that the proclamation that Jeremiah deserved death will echo once again in Jerusalem, that God's prophet deserves death, that this time it would be Jesus at the hands of the Romans. And Jesus boldly states, it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. A little bit of a slap in the face, but true. Jesus laments over the city of God, over Jerusalem. He knows that God's judgment will not be spared on them, but will fall heavily on the people. That Jerusalem will be left desolate. In Hebrew, you might pronounce the name Jerusalem. You might say Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. And there again at the end, Shalayim, you can see the, the word Shalom, peace. Yerushalayim means city of peace, or it could also mean uh, pointing the way to peace. But there will be no peace, no Shalom in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim, because the people of God will again reject the prophet and his words. And we hear the pain in Jesus' heart as he laments over the city. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. Where will the people find peace and safety? Where are we to find peace and safety? That's a question for all times, but certainly is a question for us today. We have a worldwide pandemic that we're just coming out of. We have worldwide supply chain issues because of it. Soaring inflation, soaring inflation, division at home, division abroad, a war in Ukraine that threatens to spill over into other countries, the question, are we headed into a world war? Will our economy suffer? What hardship might be coming for us, for our loved ones? Where will we find real peace and safety? And we know that we will find peace and safety under his wings. That's where our shalom is, under the reign of God. Jesus knows that the people are going to reject him, reject the word of God. They'll kill him as they killed the prophets and will look for peace somewhere else. But there will be no peace Somewhere else, only judgment and destruction. And it breaks Jesus' heart. And Paul, in our epistle reading, he shares the pain in his heart, in his letter to the Philippian Christians, when he says, For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
And these who walk as enemies are exemplified by the Jewish officials of Jeremiah's day, the officials of Jesus' day, by anyone who is opposed to God's word as it goes out into the world. Paul says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And we certainly understand how that can happen. Our minds set on earthly things, they can get wrapped up by all kinds of things in this world, our minds can. There's plenty of us to think about, uh, plenty for us to think about, plenty for us to worry about. Issues at home or at school or at work. The war in Ukraine, what it means for us. These can certainly occupy our attention as we watch the news and see what's going on around us and in the world. But Satan would like all of these things, these earthly things, to distract us from our Lord Jesus. He would like nothing better than for us to be so concerned about ourselves and our earthly things around us that we get lost in the weeds, as we might say. That we take our eyes off of Jesus and off of the cross to the point that even the really unimportant things in this life become all important to us so that we end up focusing on ourselves instead of the cross. We start acting as though we have to defend ourselves or like we have to fend for ourselves. The devil and even our own flesh would have us lose sight of Jesus, set our mind on earthly things instead of putting ourselves into God's hands and seeing in the cross our greatest protection, our most wonderful provision, and our guarantee for our future. Paul says, many walk as enemies of the cross, but not you. He says, their end is destruction, but not your end. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They have their minds set on earthly things, but not you. Because... Where is our citizenship? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to put all things into subjection to himself. You think about citizenship. Uh, I know many of us have a passport. Uh, a passport means something. It has your name in it, and where it has your name, it also has the letters USA. It's a document that links you and links me to our citizenship in the United States of America, and nothing can separate you from that citizenship. And there are different ways that you can become a citizen. You can uh, take the test, you can study, take the test and become a citizen. The easiest way to become a citizen, of course, is to be born as a citizen, be born in America. Birth, new birth, is the only way to become a citizen of heaven. 
And Jesus said this to Nicodemus, you'll remember, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's what happened to you when you were baptized. You became a citizen of heaven. And it means something. It means for each one of us, peace and safety. It means that God has brought us under his wings, under his reign, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. He has united us in that baptism to Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And this is what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have been united with him. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Citizenship in heaven means that God has gathered you. It means that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? It means that we don't have to go scrambling around trying to defend ourselves or trying to fend for ourselves. Citizenship in heaven means that we have been forgiven. Forgiven all our sins. That we have entrance into the new Jerusalem and that nothing can ever take that away. It means that God's name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been put on you. It means that you're safe. The thief on the cross next to Jesus received that new birth of faith even as his earthly life was slipping away. But his coming death could not revoke his citizenship in heaven. Martin Singer clung to the cross of Christ, to his citizenship in heaven. Corrine Einspar clings in faith to the cross of Christ and her citizenship in heaven. That's where our peace, that's where our security lie. So in these troubled days, stand firm in the Lord, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where we find our Shiloh, our Shalom, real peace in this world and in the next, as we fix our, our eyes not on earthly things, but on our Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for us. In his name, amen. amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.